0: to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. We're going to be looking in this passage today. Also looking in chapter 11. But if you would, stand for the reading of the Word. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, we also... Of the throne of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. You may be seated. I want to know this morning, in log it in your hearts, if you have any situations, struggles, or things inside of you that you want God to do something about today. That you just can't seem to get an answer. That you're struggling with it, and you've been praying about it, and it seems like your prayers just won't come true. Or they won't come through. Or it seems as though God isn't listening. This morning, we're going to approach the throne room of God in a very special way. Why? Because this text asks us to. I have a question for you. Would you all like, for me, for you, to work on your car transmission if it ever breaks down? No, you don't. No. Well, let me give you some qualification. In the 1980s, I worked for Pepsi in their transportation department, and I pulled transmissions off their delivery trucks. Now, would you like me to work on your transmission? No I worked there for eight hours. <laughs> now, why wouldn't you want me to do that? Uh, not qualified. Not qualified. I pulled all the bolts off. I hoisted it up and set it aside for the professional to fix it. <laughs> there you go. I was good at, that. What's you good at that. I was good at taking things apart. <laughs> I still make a mess of things so, uh, as a matter of fact, they liked me so much, they invited me back and put me in the warehouse. <laughs> I, apparently, I was there quite a while. Um, but I want to talk to you about something today that we don't talk much about. I think it's because, I think the main reason is because we don't know that it exists. We use a lot of different words to describe God. We have several different names Scriptures give us like Jehovah, Yahweh, um, El Shaddai, El Elyon, Adonai, God Most High, Jesus, Holy Spirit, all a lot of different names plus many more. It even says that Creator, Master, Lord, King of Kings, Prince of Peace. We have a lot of different names, but I'm going to add a couple to the list from this passage we read which our author and finisher of our faith. He wrote it, and He wrote the conclusion. So He's good at writing. He's an author. We didn't think about that, but we always say God wrote the Bible. He just used a lot of people to do it. In chapter 11, right before this 12th chapter in Hebrews, we read of a a quest that a man named Abraham was on. And I've got it on the screen for you there. Um, It's in verses 8-10, through where Abraham has already... Um, done a lot of the work but in in these verses he's uh, talking about why he did what he did and it says by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going you ever felt that way in your faith I don't know where I'm going God just get me there Abraham was like that. And by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He didn't even know he was there. Dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And here's why. For he waited for the city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. We have two more words to describe God there. Builder and maker. Now, the builder and maker of the city that he was seeking was God, obviously. Builder, maker, creator, designer, and construction worker. There's another name for you, for God. He built it, therefore He's in construction. We're not done with the names yet. It's a work of God for the city that Abraham was looking for. Why was God doing it? He's the only one qualified. (laughs) You don't want me building the city you're going to inherit when you're done with your life here and go to see Jesus. You do not want me to design that thing. And you probably don't want anybody else but God to build it. Or, maybe you do. Maybe you want the one who... Laid out the design for the Titanic. Okay. Intelligent work. He just forgot a few things. God doesn't forget. Or maybe the person who built the Leaning Tower of Pizza, or Pizza, <laughs> some of y'all used to call it that, I'll bet, when you were a kid. Pizza. Leaning Tower of Pizza. I used to go, man, I'd like that much pizza. <laughs> but no, Pizza. Was built on soft ground. It wasn't built on bedrock, so you know things are going to fall eventually. It's taken a few hundred years to get there, but it'll get there unless they prop it up. And how can you fix it? You can't. You just keep letting it lean. No longer do they let visitors in because they would fall out the window. But I want to share with you something that that city that God is building that Abraham was seeking for was his kingdom that he built, that he designed, that he created, that is the city that Abraham looked for is the race that Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews is talking about in verse 1 of chapter 12. It says, "...to run with endurance the race set before us." That is the race for the city God made. Now, when God does something in which He is the designer and the creator, it turns out incredible. It really does. We can't fathom what that city looks like. But look at the earth for an example. Its sheer perfection on a scale that we can't fathom. It fits perfectly into its orbit for the seasons. has for many, many years and will continue. It fits on its axis at the right angle, any tenth of a degree variation one way or the other. It doesn't work. It fits perfectly in the solar system so the gravitational pull keeps it where it needs to be. It fits in the solar system, in the solar system that fits in its galaxy that fits with the gravitational pull of everything else to keep that solar system where it needs to be so our earth will stay where it needs to be. And our galaxy fits perfectly in the universe amongst all the other galaxies to make sure that galaxy is in its right place, so our solar system is in the right place, so our planet is in the right place, so that we are in the right place. That we cannot understand. But God designed it, and it's beautiful. It works wonderfully. It is not arbitrary, random guesswork that this creation and all the universe is here by chance. That would be insane to think that that nothing could do this this well. It's flawless. Random chance is not flawless. <laughs> no way, no how. And so, I want to share with you a little bit more about why I'm talking about a God that's a designer and a creator. In verse one of chapter 12, which we just read. It says to lay aside every weight in the sin that so easily ensnares us or besets us, as some translations use. Why? Why, why do we want to lay down sin and, and the problems that beset us? Well, here's the reason why. The first part of the verse gives us a clue anyway. It says there's a great cloud of witnesses around us. Now you might go, well, there's about 25, 30 people here today. Is that the witnesses? No. That is not the witnesses he's referring to. Please understand, this author was not referring to Milburn United Methodist Church when he wrote that. He was referring to chapter 11. Chapter 11 is a list of all the great people in faith. Moses, Samson, uh, you name it. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. All those folks. There's a bunch of people in a list, and he doesn't have time to talk about all of them. And it says this great list of the saints that gone before us are witnesses around us. And they are witnesses right now. As I'm speaking, as we're listening. Not judge and jury type witnesses, please understand, they are rather seen as encourager witnesses. Scripture tells us right away that they are the kind of witnesses that look on like someone's running a marathon or a race and they're the onlookers cheering them on. Now get this, they're not just cheering one runner. They're cheering them all. And why? Because they're spaced out along the path of our life and on the path of each of our lives so that we have encouragement at the right time when we need it. Because there's times when we're real close to God, we're on fire, we don't need more encouragement. We are the encouragers in those moments. When we're on fire, we don't got to say, someone cheer me up. (laughs) We say, who can I bless? Let me tell somebody how good God is today because He's really good to me right now and we just can't keep quiet. Well, these are the witnesses and they're along the journey of our life, saying, keep going. Look at what I went through. Don't give up. And sometimes you might need a Samson who was so recklessly disobedient. Immoral. Saying, sometimes we make bad mistakes but God can still use us. And sometimes we need a Moses who got angry and didn't get to see the promised land and say, don't let your anger stop you. Keep going. Keep hanging in there. All the witnesses got something to tell us as we get struggles along the journey. And this is why the writer says, there's going to be some tough times. There are going to be things in our life that don't seem fun. (laughs) Let me say that even more clear: that are not fun, <laughs> not comfortable, not easy. Do you have people in your life beyond this cloud of witnesses we're speaking of that encourage you? Do you have people to say, I believe in you? Do you have someone who will do that? It makes a difference, doesn't it, if you do. And it also makes a difference if you don't. What I like so much about Wednesday night and our time in here is we're encouraging one another. We're lifting each other up and helping each other. And, And it really does my heart good. We are running a race. And we're going toward something. Uh... Verse 28 tells us what we're running toward in this 12th chapter. It says that we are headed... See, here's what he does. He talks about this race and he goes somewhere else for a while. <laughs> he just does that. Don't ask me why he just does that. He goes somewhere else for a while and comes back to in chapter 12 still. Verse 28 where he says, Therefore, this, uh, we're running this race With so great a cloud of witnesses looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace that we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now, here is the goal of the race. We're receiving a kingdom which will not fail, which cannot be destroyed or shaken. And all the time before that, he's talking about stuff that messes up. stuff that gets broken, it doesn't work real well. talks about people um, getting weary. As a matter of fact, in verse two, when we look at this race, it says, we're looking to Jesus. We're looking to Jesus as we run the race. Let me tell you something. I'm not a good runner. So my advice is based on my experience. Please don't, don't take this as how to succeed. I'm going to tell you how to fail. Because every time I try to run, I fail. But let me tell you how you can fail. Runners cannot look at the pavement and succeed. And I don't mean to watch for potholes. I mean to keep their head down and only see pavement all the time. They cannot succeed by looking down. They cannot listen to body aches and pains and struggles and screaming shins and hips and uh, ankles and calves and lungs and arms that are tired and continue to race. It just happens that way. They cannot look around at stuff around and wish they were doing something else and continue that race. How do I know? Because that's what I do when I stop running every time. You see... When I start to run, I think it would be really nice one day to run a marathon, or a 5K, or a 10K, but in the midst of the first day of practice, and I'm tired and sweaty, and it's hot out, I go, you know, I'll never get through this. And I can say, but I said I wanted to do the marathon, I go, it's not that important. (laughs) I don't care if I ever run a marathon, I haven't run one yet, nobody in my family has, why would I care if I run a marathon? That is not how you train. To not care about the end. Why do I say that? Because a runner who finishes has to have a finish line worth going to. They have to have a a reward, something that drives them forward when they cannot. I don't have the drive that says, let's keep running just so I can get there. I'll walk, thank you. Someone can pick me up in a car. I'll ride a bike. I'll get there quicker. That's my thinking. I'm not a runner. I can't do that stuff. But there are people who can and they love it because they know there's an exhilarating end in front of them. (laughs) And there is for them. It's just not the kind of reward that I'm looking for when I'm tired. But hear me again. They must look toward what they're running for, running to, their purpose, the finish line, the thing that keeps driving them onward. They're looking to something. Something that makes the pain and the struggle and all the hours of training worthwhile to them. What about you? You ever ran? bet you're better at it than I am. I don't know too many who are not. I'm what they call a sprinter. I'll run to the kitchen. <laughs> I'll run downstairs, get something. Might, might run out to the car. I'm a sprinter. <laughs> you all might not understand that, but uh, most of us do. <laughs> I, it means that's far enough. They say guys over 40 just don't run very much. Guys over 50, hardly run at all. Only time I'll run is if I've hit a softball somewhere and it's a game. Until then, I'll wait. But I got a question. How have you been training for the race that you're running now? The one that the witnesses are trying to encourage you to get moving a little better. The ones that say, keep going. Don't give up. It's not over yet. This Turning 180 series that we've been in since October is about the training. It's about the transformation of how we think about the race. What we put is important, what matters to us. It's about knowing that God has a reward at the end of this race and this transformation has a purpose that really is something we want. And we have a part. We do have something to do. And and, and I don't like this But this same chapter, 12, verse 12, this is the verse that we go... uh, You had to put that in there, huh? You ever read this verse, Therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. (laughs) Anybody struggle with body aches and pains before? I have a saying now I don't know what age it was that it happened but every day I don't wake up and wonder if it hurts I wonder where yes. or or how many parts and maybe you're not there yet praise God but I imagine there's a lot of us in this room who go yeah I, I understand but what I want to tell you is this passage here in 12 says strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees it's talking you got to hear this the word for the hands which hang down is uh, connotated like this. Hands that just don't want to do it. They can, they just don't want to. But the word for feeble knees, it is nowhere similar, nowhere similar to what the word feeble means. Not even weary or tired. The word is Paralyzed. knees won't move. They're paralyzed. And the fact of the matter is, they will not move unless something outside of them acts on them to get them to move. Now it's saying, strengthen these feeble knees. But what it doesn't say is, you can't do it. You have to have somebody along the way that says, let me help you. Let me lift you up when you fall so you can get back on your feet and I'll guide you along the way until you can start running again. I'll hold you up until your knees get strength. These are the cloud of witnesses around us that step into the race and don't run it for us, but say, let me lift you up. Let me encourage you to try one more time. We need those people. It's a hard part to lift up hands that don't want to lift up and keep doing it, but the only way you can strengthen them on your own is before the race. To train yourself for the race before you run it. (laughs) Wait a minute though. I thought the Christian faith was a lifelong journey. How can I train myself for the race? It's because... The race that we're talking about, and the training we're talking about, is our faith. Our faith gets trained by trial. Some of us go, huh. "Well, I must be getting trained a lot." <laughs> yeah, God trains you. He even says in there that there's a discipline; it's uncomfortable, but it's that training. And sometimes we don't want the training, so God has to make it a little harder because we're not training ourselves. But God wants you trained. And those trials and struggles you face are part of that training. If you won't strengthen the faith and be diligent and consistent in praying, studying, and lifting them up, you're going to find trials, so you will seek God, pray and study, and find out why this is going on until you get the answer God's looking for for your life. It's not pleasant. I didn't say it was. But it's the truth. God works that way. And and the reason why is because it says He's the author and finisher of our faith. Now catch this. God in Jesus Christ designed it. He created it. He made it. He created you and me the way we are. And we go, oh, no, 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 no. Oh, you don't understand. Society made me this way. I'm cynical. I'm tired. Life made me this way. I'm going to share this with you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made by God in your mother's womb. Whether or not you understood that, it's because you don't know how that happened, because you were not able to understand these things, nor is anybody else understand how God could do that. How that length of DNA in your body that stretches millions of miles, he put that together. Now let me put that into perspective for you. If God designed you and this world begins to corrupt you. Do you think you want someone who is an inferior transmission person to work on your transmission to get you up and going? Just ask it. You already said no, it was me. No, I can't do that. But let me tell you how valuable this is. Do you all remember Henry Ford invented the assembly line or perfected it for the automotive industry? Henry Ford, very, very practical, shrewd businessman. Let me tell you how shrewd he was. He, the factory in Detroit, right? He got his parts out of Georgia and shipped them to Detroit. And he selected the manufacturer in Georgia for a reason. It wasn't because the parts were cheaper there. It was because he wanted his parts shipped in pine boxes. And Georgia had a lot of pine trees. And nobody else had abundance of pine trees where they'd have to go and buy pine trees to make the boxes to ship the parts in. And 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 Georgia said, Yeah, that's easy for us. We got thousands of these things. We'll just ship them up there. And and Henry Ford, very shrewd, wanted shipped in pine boxes because the pine boxes were what he made his dashboards and his shifter and and all the other wooden parts in his car out of pine. So he got all his wood parts for free very shrewd businessman. He got his parts plus the parts for the parts for the next parts. Very good at this. So, one day, the assembly line comes to a screeching halt. He calls the tech managers throughout the factory and they say, we don't know what's wrong with it. And he says, I'm losing money by the second you get it fixed. And they say, we don't know how. He said, well, the man who built that, get him in here. Hear me. The man who designed it, built it, and oversaw it being put together, get him in here. And get him in here now, I ain't losing money. That's basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I think Henry Ford was probably more proper and probably was explicit. <laughs> I have no idea how he talked. So I'm telling you this story by the way I heard it. And so the man comes in. And Henry Ford watches him. And aren't we curious to know what God's going to do when he messes in our lives? Aren't we? We want to watch him do it. God, what are you going to change it? What are you going to fix? I, I don't know if you can do that. And so Henry Ford walks around with this guy for half an hour. He looks at this, looks at that. And then after about an hour of looking, he goes to a spot and tinkers for 10 minutes. Then he goes back to the start button and starts working. Henry Ford says, Thank you. He says, I'll send you a bill. Week later, postal service back then a little slower, gets a bill for $10,000. Now in the 1920s, you can imagine how much money that is. That's, that's about 15 cars worth of pay. Today, that would be about a million dollar bill for a half an hour to an hour and a half worth of work. Andrew Ford wrote the man back and said, I will not pay Ten thousand dollars for ten minutes of tinkering. I will not do it. The man rewrote the bill. Ten minutes of tinkering, ten dollars. Knowing where, how, and how much, nine thousand nine hundred and ninety dollars. Total bill, ten thousand dollars. Sent it back. Henry Ford paid it in full happily. Why? Because the master creator Knew what to do, where, when, and how. Mm -hmm. God knows how to tinker in our lives. Here's the other title for God. Mechanic. Mm -hmm. For your life. For your body. For your heart. For your soul. You see, we're looking for a city that He made. To populate it with people that He made. And He wants to tinker, if you will, in the right way in our lives to get us ready to be inhabitants of that. And we don't know what that's supposed to look like. And so we tell God, well, this is what you need to do in my life because this is what I think needs done. And God's going, "Um, I've got a bigger picture in mind. You don't know why I created you. You don't know your purpose in eternity. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do something over here. And I'm going to adjust this thing. And and I'm going to make you uncomfortable until you let me. (laughs) Oh, God, please don't make me uncomfortable. Well, God says, well, then trust me. The only problem is, is when God's doing that, He's asking us to endure. Now remember, He says, let us lay aside all this weight that is besetting us, and it's the weight that we put on ourselves. Our own thinking, our own expectations and assumptions. I make a lot of them. You make a lot of them. They all get in the way. The sin that sums up and besets us along the way. All this stuff that God has to work through to get us to where He needs us to be just so we can do what He wants us to do. And we go, "Hey, yeah, I must be fighting God or something. Absolutely. And he's saying, run this race with endurance. And, and that's a good way to put it, uh, is endurance. And endurance has a purpose. And i, I got to tell you why he says, run this race with endurance. Because you can't endure if you don't know something good's coming. talked about it a few weeks ago when we said when we're depressed, we don't know when it's going to end. We think it's just going to go on and on and on, so we don't know how to endure it. When we're struggling and things aren't going well, we just don't know when the better day is coming. And so it's like, will this ever end? When it was raining every day for a few weeks uh, back earlier this year, and we wanted, I wanted to plant the garden every day, it got muddy again. wanted my yard to get seeded and worked up and say it was too wet. And I said, well, what about next week? He said, if it stays dry. It took him three months before it finally got dry. Enough. But now i got a yard with grass. <laughs> Right? Patience, right? I know the day is coming. I just don't know when. Now let me tell you a story. A friend of mine told me this week. He said uh, he was called in to work today and yesterday when he was supposed to be off. He couldn't do anything about it. And I said, well, well, uh, how, how do you handle that when you have to do it? He said, after that, i only got five days before i got a weekend. I can last that long. you know why people can handle some pain? It's because they know it's going to be over soon. It's not going to stay. It's not going to be there continuously. And so what happens is if we know that tomorrow's a better day, we'll endure today. If I know... And here's how it works. If I'm broke today, but tomorrow's payday, I can make it through the day somehow because tomorrow's a better day. Do you understand what I'm saying? The runner sees the better day. The one who doesn't endure sees right now. Mm-hmm. And it gets them down right now. And they're looking at the pavement and it's hard and bitter and hot and sticky. And they're looking at their legs and their arms and they're all hot and sweaty and they're thirsty. just... Be so nice to be in air conditioning. That looks better than this. But let me tell you something. In the walk and run of faith, there's an end that's better than this. There's a race that's better than the comfort zone we're seeking for our lives that we want God to fix right now. And God's saying, get your eyes on the bigger prize. Look to, in verse 2, Jesus. Looking to Jesus not looking at the pavement or how hard the race is or how bad the struggle is, but looking to Jesus, the One who designed the race in the first place. He knows how to complete it for you. He knows what to do to get you there. He also knows how you run because He built you the way you are. So this is all good news. And that's why that second verse for me is so powerful the founder and perfecter of our faith. Is that not awesome? The designer, the creator, and the mechanic and trainer is Jesus. All in one. And if we start listening to our own lives and our own bodies complain, guess what we're going to listen to first? Our bodies. But here's what's neat. And I didn't say this earlier because I wanted to hold this to this point. When it says that we run with endurance, the race that is set before us, that word endurance means this priority. That it's a priority, it's set before us. That set before, in the Greek it says, it is what is our priority. We can't run what's not important to us. What doesn't matter to us. We had a whole Priority One series. lasted a year here. Talking about what matters most to us. And this is what we're talking about. There's a better day coming. But we have to know that Jesus Christ is the author of that better day also. And what I was talking about, when you know... That tomorrow is payday and you're broke today, you can make it through today. That tomorrow day that's coming, that which it triggers inside of you is called the hope factor. It's the hope factor. That means it triggers something in you that can make you go on when you don't want to. It's the same thing that this cloud of witnesses, including the one sitting here today, will encourage you. Will lift you up along the way and come alongside you and say, let me help you run and stand until the time. That's the hope factor. says They're not going to let me quit. They're not going to let me fail. That means I can do this. That I'm going to find a way to succeed. That God's going to get me there because of the people He's put in my life and the situations. And it's really awesome because the best goal we have is not one that we created, but one that God did. And so, when God is the author and finisher of our faith, the pioneer and perfecter, that word for finish and perfect, y'all might remember this word, teleos. Oh, maybe, maybe you would like the actual word, teleotes. Telios is the word for mature to the level you can mature as complete as you can get. It says here that God is the one who makes the race complete for you. That you can complete it. That He has finished it and made it complete in a way that you can handle it. That's why it says there is no struggle that you, you won't make it through. Because God knows what you can handle and He'll be there with you through it. And He knows how to get you through He can handle your struggle. Did you know that? Did you know God knew that it was going to happen already? That He's already planned for it? We talk about this in in the book of Matthew. It says that He knows that even a sparrow falls from the tree. He sees it. But we miss the whole meaning of what Jesus is saying. And if you miss this, you're going to miss this whole faith thing completely. Let me share this with you. When He says, God sees a sparrow fall from the tree, He's not saying that He's watching it fall, and go, oh, here goes a sparrow falling. It says He sees it before it happens. He knows that that sparrow is going to fall. He knows when the struggle is going to come. Mm-hmm. He already can see that happening in your life. And He's making provision. But what we're seeing when we hear that verse is, oh, He's watching the sparrow so He cares about the sparrow because He's looking at it. It's not what that means. When God sees something, He's doing something about it. Scripture says God sees you. He's doing something about you. He's doing something about your life. He's busy making places and plans for you. and he's already perfected it completed it and he's going to tinker in your life until you get there he's not going to let you not get there because you can't run right and here's what I want to do this morning and I hope this helps you races are meant to be finished not run. It's going to have to be finished. There's a spot where it's over. Mm -hmm. There's a spot where it ends. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we don't see that, so this morning I'm going to ask you to do something, if you want to. You do not have to do this. But I've done it before and it works. Today, I'm going to ask you to ask the Master Mechanic to start doing some stuff that you've been praying about for a while. But this time, I'm going to ask you to have Him handle it the way He wants to instead of the way you want Him to. And I'm going to do it like this. I brought this cross from the back. because sometimes we forget that the author and finish of our face race on this earth culminated in a cross. It was very painful for Him. In verse 3 it says He despised the shame of the cross to run the race. His race didn't end on a cross because there was a better day to come He was willing to take it. Do you understand this? Mm-hmm. There was a better day coming. come. He had the hope factor. When He was nailed to the cross, He said, yeah, but tomorrow this won't hurt. Tomorrow I'll be glorified. It's going to hurt really bad and it's going to be the most pain anybody's ever suffered. But tomorrow it's over. This time tomorrow, I'm resurrected and in my resurrected body. This time tomorrow, all my pain, earthly pain, is gone. I know, says Jesus, that the cross is worth it. But he had to get there, didn't he? And sometimes God just wants us to come to the foot of the cross and say, God, I can't handle it. I need to know what you can do. And so I'm asking you today to place the struggles the things that your master mechanic needs to work on, to tinker in your life that you've been praying for, and say, God, in the name of Jesus Christ, I surrender this to you and I place it at the foot of the cross. I'm not taking this any further. It's yours. You're the mechanic. Do what you will. I just want you to have it. I've fought this too long, God. I've struggled too long. I need you take this burden this struggle this trial and you know what God's going to do say thank you been waiting been waiting for you to get frustrated with it waiting for you to let it go waiting for you to trust my answers because this is what we call training Is letting God have it and do with it what he will he will make it beautiful. It will have its purpose when he's allowed to tinker in it, and in a matter of moments—might seem like longer to you—but in a matter of moments, he'll stick his hands right in the right place in your life, start tinkering around, and you say, "God, how'd you do that? All you did was some tinkering, and now all of a sudden my life's better." And God will say. Anybody can tinker. I just know where. I don't know how. I built you. You're mine. And I want you to run the right way. And I love you. And I'm not going to let you be struggling anymore. Look to my son. Look to me. Would you pray with me? God, I... uh, I know that You're able to do more than I can ever think or imagine. And right now, I imagine that there are people here today that don't know how to lay it down to put foot across. cross. But it's simple. To say, Lord, this is Yours. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I'm going to let You do with it. And You do with me so that I can be about Your business. Heavenly Father, thank You for that opportunity today. That You love us that much. We are looking to Jesus. We are looking to Jesus we're not looking at the problem. We're not looking at the pavement. We're not listening to the aches and pains of the world in our bodies, in our minds, and our lives. We're looking to You. So The reward is You. And that's where we look now. Thank You, Father. Thank You, Jesus. Holy Spirit, convict us where we need it. Amen.